Today, as we've said, is Youth Sunday. We are excited about Youth Sunday. Why are we doing Youth Sunday? We want to give you a glimpse of what Lighthouse Youth looks like. It's a little bit crazy. It's a little bit mad. And we just want to give you a little glimpse of how incredible our young people are. And as Pastor Jamie has already said, we want to give you an insight into what that looks like. But we don't just want to celebrate the young people. We want to celebrate every generation. But before we start, I'm so honoured because it makes my job so much easier when I have leaders who love young people just as much as I do. And before I start, I want to honour Pastor Jamie and Pastor Lud because they've created a church that people, young people are invited, involved and included in everything in this church. And also in Navin, we have Pastor Sam and Sarah and they began Lighthouse Youth all those years ago when Lighthouse was just forming. And we want to say thank you for the foundation that you've laid that we can stand on now and we want to say thank you for that strong foundation. And in Dundalk, Pastor Rebecca and Julian, they grew up in our youth and they take over and led our youth and brought it into more strength. And they still celebrate young people to these, this day. So whatever location you're in, whether it's Dublin, Navin, Dundalk, let's celebrate and honour Pastor Jamie and Lod, Pastor Sam and Sarah, Pastor Rebecca and Julian for all they have done so far and will do for the youth of Lighthouse. So that makes my job so much easier because I'm not fighting a losing battle saying young people should do this, young people should do that. They have got my back. They love young people just as much as I do. But we're going to celebrate all the generations here today. And here's a list of all the generations. We've got the greatest generation born 1901 to 27. Then comes the silent generation. Then we've got the baby boomers. Then we've got Generation X. Then we've got the best generation. That's right. Wait, you know it. Then we've got Gen Z, and then we've got Gen Alpha. And we want all of them in our church. We want every single generation in our church. Our youth ministry probably operates in Gen Z and Gen Alpha, but we all know that millennials are the best. We know that. It's easy. That's the biggest round of applause I've possibly ever got. We love millennials, because I'm biased. But for each generation, there's breakthrough. They discover something new. And as each generation comes and appears and is born, all the past generations change. There's something that changes in each generation as they are added. But that leads me to the question, have you ever felt old-fashioned or outdated? Because as generations come, things continue to change. So what you think, oh, I'm on this trend, and then the trend's gone. And then you think, oh, I've bought these clothes because they're in fashion. And then fashion changes. And you're always trying to keep up with the latest generation, with the latest trend. And maybe you are trying to get on the bandwagon to some of these things, but it's just constantly changing. Whether it's technology, maybe you remember a phone like this. It was in one place. It had a cord. You couldn't move. And this always had a kink in it. Always, no matter what phone you got, there was always a kink in here. And you couldn't move, and that was what phones were. But even before that, we had letters. I'm not going to ask if anyone remembers writing letters before phones. But nowadays, phones can do pretty much anything. Like it's got a camera in it, it's got music, it's got your contact book, it's got the time, it's got speaker, you can play games. There's so much you can do with technology now. And it's just increasing and getting better and the photography on it. You can take better photos. You can play better games. It's faster. The battery lasts. And it just keeps changing and changing. And you buy the new phone and very quickly, it's not the new phone anymore. It moves on. 
So we become outdated and old quickly. Or maybe you remember the internet. Maybe you remember a time without the internet. I know I was very, very young when I got the internet. Without it, I would go onto the computer and just play pinball. Does anyone remember that? A minesweeper? And there was no internet, that's all you did. You just went on and played games. Or remember you remember dial-up? You got on, it made that unique sound that it does. And then someone phoned the house phone. So the internet got pulled out and the house phone had to go back in. And whatever you were downloading or playing or whatever you were doing, just got cancelled. But now, we have Wi-Fi everywhere. And if it's not there, we don't want to be there. It has to be there, it has to be fast, and it has to be free. You can get Wi-Fi absolutely anywhere now. But we remember a time where we had dial-up and there was a time where there was nothing as well. Or maybe fashion. Maybe your fashion has changed as the generations come on. Anyone wear double denim? It's a few laughs. Some people wore double denim. Or maybe a shell suit. They're coming, well, some people think they're coming back in. Or the dungarees. Oh, people love the dungarees. So all these fashions were cool. And sometimes they try and come back. Sometimes they try to make an appearance. But now, if I was to wear double denim, I would be looked up and down. Because it's not the fashion of today. The fashion of today is crazy because the world is just global. So what used to be a trend for a while is now just so quick. And there's so many trends, so many people groups, so many styles that fashion is even more difficult to keep a hold of like these bold pattern shirts are coming in and i'm not sure if i like it so i can go and choose another style but fashion keeps changing with the generations and music keeps changing as well we've got all these great bands that pastor jamie probably loves every single one of them so i'm trying to get brownie points and put them up there and i've probably heard of some of them but we've got guns and roses we've got Pink Floyd, Metallica, Bling One Eight, like all these massive bands. And people say that music used to be better. Who agrees that music used to be better in my day? Yes, absolutely. But now we've got Little Mix. No, no one. We've got Coldplay. Now Coldplay, come on. Can't argue with Coldplay. We've got Taylor Swift. Any Swifties in the house? We've got some. So we've got this depth of music. I love Queen. Queen's up there as well. There's so many great songs from the past. And people say, music can't get any better than this. But we've got so many great bands as well today. And it's trying to, at the minute, Taylor Swift's coming to Dublin. So she's the next big, well, she's already big. But she's the thing that people want to be listening to. I hear her album. I got her ticket. And if you're in, you're a Swiftie. If you're not, you're like, oh, I feel a bit outdated and old-fashioned. Or there's trends that change throughout the year as well. Maybe you remember the running man. Is it? Oh, I hear someone go, woo! I remember it. Or the moonwalk. Maybe that was your move when you were in the discos. The running man and the moonwalk. But now we have dances like Fortnite. Maybe you have a child and you know what Fortnite is. Fortnite's just this mad collection on, Matthew, show us. of dancing. I, on, I know these dances. I don't want to show you. So to be... To be cool and to be relevant. On, I will, I will. I'm going to give you a backstory. They're shouting at me. They're shouting at me. So I used to be a kids and youth pastor. So I had to be cool for the kids. So I had to learn. Well, I needed to learn all these dances. So when I did them, the kids were like, whoa, that's amazing. So you've got Orange Justice. You've got the hype. All these here. But if you did that now, young people and kids would be like, that's not cool. 
Or especially what used to be cool and is really not cool now is the dab. That one. Someone just said, don't dab, don't do it. <laughs> but all these dances used to be cool. They used to be the thing that people wanted to do. But now we've got TikTok and these new dances change like every week. There's so many that you can't keep a hold of. Trends just keep changing. And lastly, vocabulary changes as well. Maybe you were around where totally rad was the word, the phrase to say. Take a chill pill. Awesome dude. Like all those phrases maybe you grew up with or maybe there's specific phrases you grew up in in your town or your village where you grew up. But now we've got vocabulary like no cap. Or we've got vocabulary like riz. And if you don't know what no cap or riz mean, find a young person after the service and they will translate for you. Ask them what no cap and riz means because they've got their own vocabulary as well. But do you know each generation is different? Each one has found breakthrough. Each one has got its unique selling points. Each one is special in their own way. And, but none of them have it all together. Maybe except people born in the 90s. They have it more together than everyone else. But no generation has it all together. And we see this throughout the generations. We see how they progress and how they grow. But we know this to be true. The future builds on the past. The future builds on the past. We couldn't have Wi-Fi everywhere at any possible point without dial-up. We couldn't be where we are now without what was happening. And it's the same with language and trends and all these things build on the past. The future builds on what is there. But it's not just these cultural things like fashion and music and all these things. But there's people that stood up for what they thought was right. And now we live with the fruit of that. So people stood up for women's rights. They stood up for the abolishment of slavery. They stood up for civil rights movement. And because of their stand that they took, every future generation can build upon that. Because right. there was once a generation where women didn't have rights. There were slaves. The civil rights movement wasn't a thing. And now we get all this to live with. We live with that because someone took a stand for that. The future is built on the past. And we know this, the next can't have what the now doesn't give them. The next can't have what the now doesn't give them. If there wasn't someone to stand up and say, I'm going to stand up for that, well, maybe we wouldn't have it today. There had to be a brave individual or a brave group to say, I don't stand for that any longer. I want better for the future generations. And we have so many great things. We have so many privileges, so many freedoms, so many liberties that are free for us, but it cost someone everything. And as young people, so often we think because technology, we have technology, we think we are the best generation about. We can do anything that we want. But I think young people need to be careful and respect the generations that have come before because they have set a great foundation for this generation and the next generation and the next generation. All the freedoms we take for granted cost someone everything. So if you're a young person in here today, whether it's in Dundalk, whether it's in Navin, whether it's here in Dublin, this respect and honour the generations that have come before because we can't have the life that we live now without their sacrifice. And one person who sacrificed and wanted better for the next generation is Martin Luther King Jr. And he said this, I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the colour of their skin, but the content of their character. What he was experiencing in his life, 
he didn't want for his kids. He wanted better for the next generation. So he stood up for what he wanted for his kids. Because he didn't have the freedom that he wanted for his kids. He had a dream that one day this would happen. And now we get to live in that reality because he stood up and he had a dream that one day the next generation could live with the freedom that he couldn't have. And he wanted that to be passed on to his kids. So the question is, what are you passing on to your kids? We pass on, we can pass on so many things to our kids or the next generation, whether that be money, whether that be the house, whether that be the inheritance that they get at the end. Or that could be, you could pass on a bad trait from the other side of the family. It's not from your side of the family, it's definitely the other side. Or we can pass on beneficial things that will help them in life. We can pass on opportunities for them to grow. We can pass on many things. But Pastor Andy Stanley from North Point Church says this, your greatest legacy may not be something that you do, but someone that you raise. What you pass on can be your legacy. Your legacy might not be just what you give to your kids financially, but actually it's who you raise. And I know that I wouldn't be where I am today without my parents. My parents sacrificed for me. They gave their all for me. They gave me opportunities that I could grow. They modeled faith. They modeled generosity. And I wouldn't be where I am today without my parents. Because they have passed on to me so many beneficial things. But what are you passing on to your kids? You can set your children and their children and their children up to win. A decision that you make today can set up not just your children, but their children and their children. Because we pass on what's important to us. If it's important to us, we want to pass that on to our kids, whether that's a value, whether that is an inheritance, whether that you want to give them a foot up in life with opportunities. What we pass on is important to us. But the question that leads me to and I want to answer today is how do we set up the next generation to win? How do we set up the next generation to win? And I want to look at a passage, one verse from the Bible, and it's found in the book of 1 Timothy. And in the Bible, we'll find two books of Timothy. And they were wrote, not by Timothy, but a man called Paul, who wrote to a younger man called Timothy. And you might remember, go back a few slides, you might remember Paul, keep going back. You might remember Paul, from the Bible, or you might not know Paul, but Paul hated Christians. He went around killing Christians. And there's a story in the Bible that actually he held coats for people to allow them to stone a Christian to death. So he hated Christians. He was far away from faith. He didn't want anything to do with it. And then one day he discovered Jesus and his life forever changed. Paul went from persecuting Christ followers to becoming a passionate Christ follower. Maybe you're here today and you feel like, a bit like Paul, that you're far away from faith. You don't want anything to do with it. You couldn't be further away from having a relationship with Jesus. I want you to know today that God sees you. God loves you. God knows you. He is close to you. Even though you don't want to be close to him, God is close to you and he loves you. So whether you feel like Paul or whether you feel super close to God today, he is with you. He is here today. And maybe you feel like Paul at the start, but our prayer for you is you become a passionate Christ follower, that you realize all that God has done for you. Paul and Timothy had this amazing, special relationship. At the start of the book of 
First Timothy, he called Timothy my true son in the faith. Because Paul was older than Timothy and he mentored Timothy. Because Paul knew that he couldn't live forever. He couldn't keep doing what he was doing. So he wanted to pass on his wisdom, his love, his leadership to someone younger like Timothy. So they had this beautiful mentor relationship. So everything that we see Paul say to Timothy is from this relationship of passing it on to the next generation. So I want to look at this first that Paul is telling Timothy to do to encourage him to give him a framework of how he can live and give to the next generation. So Paul says this in 1 Timothy 4, verse 12. He says this, Don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. Is anyone young in here? Anyone young in Navan and Dundalk? We say about Ireland, Ireland isn't a birthright, it's a spirit. And it's the same with feeling young. Just because you've got more candles on the cake doesn't mean you can't be youthful. We want to build a youthful church. That doesn't mean that we are a young church. That means we are a youthful church with energy and passion. We are a young church. So I hope you feel young today. So don't look anyone look down on you because you are young. But set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. What does it mean to set an example? To set an example is to show someone a certain way of doing things. And we have language for this in Lighthouse. Another way of saying it is to inspire the extraordinary. How do we set an example? We inspire someone to an action. We inspire someone to live out values or to live out a certain action. So how do we inspire the extraordinary? How do we do that in our speech, in our conduct, in our love? And the few things that we're going to look at, we're going to look at five characteristics that can inspire the next generation and set them up to win. So five characteristics that were in this verse that we're going to look at today. And the first one is this. We can set the example in our speech. And I'm sure we've all heard this phrase. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. We all learned it as a child, but we know that to be false. We know that's not true. We know the pain and the hurt that words have caused us. And there's another book in the Bible called James. James is Jesus' half-brother. And he writes a book a bit similar to Paul to a church, a group of people. And in, there's a passage in it, and he talks about the power of our tongue. Our tongue has the power for life and death. And he explains the power of our tongue in three ways. He says this, it's like a bit in the mouth of a horse. You've got this strong animal that can do what it wants, but if we put a bit, in its mouth, we can control this strong animal with just a tiny bit in its mouth. Or it likens the tongue to a ship's rudder. You can get massive cruise liners now, massive ships. And the direction of the ship is all down to the tiny rudder. So this massive big ship is controlled by something so small. Or he likens it to a forest fire. The forest fire can spread for miles spread and cause damage, but it starts with one tiny spark. So all these things are t- small things, but determine the direction of something so much bigger. And that's the power of our tongue. Our tongue, small in comparison to our bodies, but it determines the direction of our life. It has the power of life and death. 
And we know sticks and stones may break my bones, but name will ever hurt me is not true at all. Because we may not remember all the kind things people say, but we can remember the hurtful things that people say. That amazing intro that Pastor Jamie gave me, I might remember it for a day, for a week, for a month, but I can still remember that hurtful thing someone said to me years ago. We're so quick to forget the, the kind words, but we always remember the hurtful things. Our words are so important. And a big issue that is coming up in the, the generations that are here and are coming is mental health. Mental health is such a big issue now because young people and people of all ages are telling themselves, you don't matter. You're worthless. No one cares about you. No one loves you. And they're believing that over themselves. They believe that that to be the truth. But a lot of the time, they believe it because someone has told them that already. Those words don't always originate in their own head. It, always, it normally originates from someone's mouth. So our words have power. Jewish rabbi Yadua Berg said this, words are singularly the most powerful force available to humanity. We can choose to use this force constructively with words of encouragement or destructively using words of despair. Words have the energy and the power with the ability to help, to heal, to hinder, to hurt, to harm, to humiliate, and to humble. Our words are so powerful. I've done kids talks before and I've done youth talks before about the power of our words. And I've used an illustration before, like a, uh, a tube of toothpaste. And you ask them, can you get the toothpaste out of the tube? And they're all excited. Yeah, I can do that, no problem. And they squeeze it out. And hopefully if you're seeing, you push from the bottom. You don't squeeze from the top. You push the toothpaste from the bottom. Everyone should do that. And then they get the toothpaste out of the tube. And then they're like, done it. It's all out of the tube. And then you're like, now I put the toothpaste back in the tube. And they, they try and like squeeze the toothpaste back in. And they're trying to... But the toothpaste is so easy to get out of the tube. but so hard to get back into the tube. And that's the power of our words. They're so easy to say but they're very difficult to get back. So that's the power of our words. So how are you using your words? How are you using, are you encouraging? Are you putting courage into someone? I remember a few, I can't remember how many years ago it was, but someone told me, if you have something nice to say, just say it. So often we're like, oh, they've got cool shoes. Or I like their outfit. Or I think you're doing a great job. And so often they stay in our head. But someone encouraged me years ago, just say it. Tell that person you love their shoes. Tell them that they're looking beautiful today. Tell them that they're doing a great job. How are we using our words? Do we encourage people? Or are we discouraging people? Are we tearing people down? Sometimes because of our own insecurities. Are we being life-given? Are we giving life with our words? Are we being destructive because our words hold power our words have the power to build up the next generation we have that power to build up the next generation with our words after our service when all our young people are in the foyer and they're hanging out tell them you're proud of them tell them you love them tell them you're i'm glad that you're here or in general tell someone today something encouraging about them 
Don't keep it in your head. Maybe you've been thinking about it for a while. Oh, I love how our band plays. He just looks so cool there when he plays the bass guitar. Or he's so cool up there when he plays the drums. Tell them. Don't keep it in. Use your words to be life-given and build the next generation. So we can build and set up the next generation with our words. But he goes on to say we can set the example in our conduct, in the actions that we do. And we all know this phrase, actions speak louder than words. We know our words have power, but our actions speak louder than our words. How we conduct ourselves will reveal who we are, but will also shape the next generation. Who we are, what we do, is who we are. Thomas Jefferson, the American president, says this. Don't you want to know who you are? Do you want to know who you are? Don't ask, act. Action will describe and define who you are. You are how you act. I can say, I'm amazing at this. I'm, I'm patient, I'm kind, I'm this and that. But if my actions reflect something different, that I throw the baby out of the bathwater all the time, I'm angry, I'm this and that, my actions determine who I am. And sometimes we put on a front and pretend to be someone we're not, but our actions describe and define who we are. And this sounds like a lot of pressure. I need to act up all the time. I need to be a certain type of person. I need to be perfect. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to be perfect. And I think there's someone in here, as I was preparing, I think there's someone in here, or maybe in Navin, maybe in Dundalk, and you've come in the church, and you're trying everything in your own strength. You're trying to be perfect. You're trying to keep everything together. You're trying to put on a front so that people think your life is together. I want to let you know today that you don't need to be perfect. You don't need to have it all together because God loves you right where you're at. He knows you. He accepts you as you are. He loves you. So if you're here today and that's for you and you feel like you're trying to hold this all together, you don't need to be because God has got you. You don't need to be perfect. And I want to take this moment to honor our parents. Our parents have a lot to juggle. It is difficult to look after kids. It's difficult to raise children. I want to honor our parents. We love the parents in Dublin. We love the parents in Dundalk. We love the parents in Navin. Let's hear it for all our parents who are bringing up and are raising the next generation in our family. We love the parents. If you're beside a parent, tell them you're doing a great job. We love parents at Lighthouse because they need to put up with a lot. They build the next generation with their words, with their actions. And so often when they're tired and upset and annoyed, they still have to set that example to their kids and they want that and it can be difficult. So we honor all the parents. And we all have off days. We all have days where we don't get enough sleep and we're a bit short with people and we get a bit angry and that anger is bubbling up. And we, we all have off days, but we don't want our off days to become our everyday. That takes the pressure off us. We don't have to be perfect all the time, but we don't want our off days to become our everyday because actions repeated become habits. So what might be an off day, if that's repeated, that becomes a habit and then that becomes who you are. But through our actions and our habits, we can set up the next generation to win. Through our actions and our habits, we can set up the next generation 
to win. Because where did you learn to react in a crisis? You've seen how someone else reacted in a crisis. If your parents put their heads in the sand, you might react that way too. Or where did you learn to deal with anger? You watched someone deal with anger. You watched how they operated. You watched how they acted and you learned from them. Where did you learn to apologize? You learned that from someone apologizing to you. We learn, the next generation learns through our actions. Our actions can help set up the next generation to win. Through our actions, we can teach the next generation many things. How to handle mistakes, how to deal with frustration, how to apologize, how to ask for help, how to listen, how to be generous, how to be kind. Through our actions, we can teach the next generation these things. How did you learn to do these things as an adult? We learned them from watching the previous generation act on these things. And we don't need one big off gesture that will change the world, but we need small healthy habits that will shape your world. I'm not asking you to be a Martin Luther King Jr. and go out and change the world, but I'm asking you to look at your habits, look at your routines, look at the actions that you have in your life, and they will shape your world. They will shape the next generations. Are there any habits in your life that aren't inspiring to you or to others? Maybe you have something you're battling with. Maybe you have something that uh, I'll, I'll sort it when I have time. I've got this thing that I do. I don't really like doing it. Are you inspiring yourself? But will you inspire others? How you act will not only affect your own life, but will also impact the next generation. We sometimes think, oh, if it doesn't hurt anyone, it's okay. But our actions will shape the next generation because they'll be watching how we react, how we respond, how we do our lives. And they will do the same thing. He goes on to say, set the example in love. We all love romantic stories where the knight in shining armor comes and rescues the princess. We all know this movie where this romantic couple run into the rain. They put their arms around each other. We all love romantic movies and the sense of love. But there's this movie on Netflix called Isn't It Romantic? And this girl is told by her mother, no one will love someone like you. So she grows up hating rom-com movies, hating love, the essence of love. And then one day through a series of events, because it's a movie, she ends up in a real life rom-com. Life is seen through rose-tinted glasses. People just randomly start singing. She meets this beautiful, muscular, good-looking man. She falls in love with him. She realizes he's not the one. It breaks her heart, finds this ordinary guy who loves this girl. They fall in love and they live happily ever after. And it's sort of a make fun of rom-coms because it's the same sort of, we love this guy, but he's not nice to you. Then your heart's broken. Then you find this ordinary guy who's been your best friend all your life. And all. This cycle just repeats. So we see this in all these movies. And sometimes we distill love to that, that those love lovey-dovey things. There's a book called The Five Love Languages and it's great and we're encouraged to do those love, like those simple acts of love, spending, being generous with your time, buying gifts, being nice with your words, encouraging with your words. 
And sometimes we just still love to just the lovey-dovey bits, the, the gifts and this and the that. But it's difficult to describe love because in English we have one word, but in the Greek they have four. So in English, when I'm trying to talk about love, this battle that I have is Anna versus onion rings. I have this battle when I talk about love. Because this weekend, I had an amazing portion of onion rings. I loved them. There was cheese fondue at the bottom. They put the onion rings on top. They were incredible. And I love them. But I also love Anna. Like, it's a battle. Would I sacrifice and give my all for onion rings? Depends how hungry I was. But would I do that for onion rings? No. The level of love between Anna and onion rings are two different levels of love. So Anna won't hear this, and I need the brownie points, so tell Anna I love her more than onion rings, please. That would, that would help me a lot. But because we only have one word for love in English, it's difficult. Whereas in the Greek, they have four words for it. And the word that Paul uses in this letter is agape. And agape means sacrificial love. It describes the love of God. Because he gave us all for us. He sacrificed his one and only son so that we can have a relationship with him. He sacrificed everything for us. And in this passage where Paul is saying, you should love, you should set the example in love. He is saying that you should set the example in sacrificial love. Yes, love is great because you can give them flowers and you can write them a love letter and sing them a song. That's amazing. But he's talking about more than that. He's talking about sacrificial love. To set an example in love, we need to sacrifice. That's the real type of love, to sacrifice. And we all know what it is to sacrifice. Maybe we sacrifice sleep. You know what it's like to be a parent and you sacrifice sleep. Or do you sacrifice finances? Instead of buying that thing that you want, do you invest it into the next generation? Do you save it and give it to your kids? Do you sacrifice plans? Maybe you have plans to go out with the boys and hang out and you've got these plans. I'm going to watch Oppelheimer tonight. But actually, your kids want to hang out with you and your wife wants to hang out with you. Will you sacrifice your plans? Will you sacrifice winning the argument to keep the relationship? It's a sacrificial love. Sometimes we want to win the argument so bad that we lose relationships. But are we loving enough sacrificial love to not win the argument, but to love the person? Do we sacrifice our wants and desires to give the next generation their wants and desires. And some people have sacrificed their life to have the luxuries and the privileges that we have today. Many people gave up their lives so that we could have the life that we live now. And we honor them for that. And we all know it's difficult to sacrifice. It's difficult to give up. Whether you have faith or not, we all are called to love sacrificially. And I preached a few weeks ago on this thing that we are called to do as Christ followers, and it's to live a life of self-sacrifice. We're called to live a life of self-sacrifice, to give our life, our everyday ordinary life, to give it to God as a pleasing sacrifice. That is our worship to him. So as Christ followers, we know we're called to live this self-sacrificial life. But I want to ask you, what have you sacrificed for the next generation? Maybe you are just living for now, living for what you want. But what have you sacrificed for the next generation? After 
the service today, our young people are going to be in the foyer. They're going to be selling stuff at our bake sale. Maybe sacrifice that coffee that you were going to buy on the way home. Maybe sacrifice that, that money that you were saving up for something. Why not invest it in to the next generation? Would you give up your wants and desires so the next generation can have theirs? Would you do that? Would you give up what you want? And so often as humans, we're inherently selfish. We want what we want. And it's natural. We all want it well, the way we want it. But would you give up your wants and desires for the next generation to have theirs? Paul continues to say, set the example in faith. And maybe as soon as I said that, you're like, well, don't have faith. I'm going to switch off at this point. This isn't to do with me. You may not have faith, but you can still be faithful. You can still set the example in faith by being faithful. So there's Christ followers in here that have faith. And we can set the example in our faith. But if you don't have faith today, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you can still be faithful. You can still show up every day. You can be true to your word and you can be loyal even when it's difficult. So even though you don't have a faith, like a Christian faith, you can still be faithful and continue to show up to honor your word and to be loyal. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he was a pastor and died in a concentration camp, said this, who can really be faithful in the great things if he has not learned to be faithful in the things of daily life? The simple things like just keep showing up, keep being faithful. Just keep doing that. And there is a power of showing up. Maybe you've seen these videos and there's a kid and he's acting or he's singing in a play and he doesn't think his parents are there. So he's singing or he's acting and he's a little bit, he's a little bit down. He's looking down. And there's this moment where he looks into the crowd and he sees his parents and his face changes and his body posture changes because he has seen how his parents have shown up. There's a power of showing up. And if you're a Christ follower in here, we have an amazing privilege to pass on our faith. It's a privilege. It's not something that should be difficult. We should make our faith a family thing to do it together. We're not called to be private Christians, to practice private Christianity. I have a faith, but I'll, I'll, keep, I'll keep it to myself. I don't, I don't want anyone to know. I'm a Christian. We, we're not called to private Christianity. The next generation needs you to live out your faith passionately. I don't want to go into youth and preach and say, you need to be passionate for God. Give him your all. Go all in. And then we come to church on a Sunday and we see the older generations sitting down. Uh, if I have time, I'll give it to God. I'll get round to it. We want your faith to live out passionately. We want you to set the example for the next generation so that when our young people come in here, they are inspired by your faith. Not that you keep it to yourself, but our young people need you to live out your faith passionately. Last thing Paul says in his letter, to set the example in purity. Definition of purity is this. Purity is the condition or quality of being pure. Freedom from anything that contaminates or pollutes. Have you let something or someone in your life that has distracted you from the values that you hold? Maybe you hold certain values, like generosity, relationships, whatever that value may be, and some things and practices and people in your life may be drawing you away from that. Is there something that's polluted 
your life, maybe negative thoughts are drawing you away from your values, from your faith, whatever you hold on to. Maybe it's relationships. Maybe you're all in for God. But then you date someone that, ah, I could take it or leave it. And then eventually they'll drag you. I'm going to church. Well, I'm not. I'm going to church. I'm not. And then a month later, I might stay off this Sunday. Uh, yeah, and then what they're pulling you away from the value and the practice that you once had. Maybe culture is telling you to act a certain way. Maybe you hold on to something that I believe in this. I hold on to this. And then culture is like, that's not popular anymore. So you give up that value or practice or laziness. We hold on to values. And then it's like, actually, it's a bit more difficult to live out this value than I thought. So I'll just, I'll just forget about it. Jan Coam, who's the co-founder of WhatsApp, multi-billionaire, said this. A lot of times, people start out with a lot of good ideas, but then they don't execute. They lose the purity of their vision and end up running around in circles. He's talking about business here. But I want to look at, like, when I said, set an example in the, your speech, in your conduct, in your love, in your faith, in your purity, you could be saying, yeah, I'm going to do that this week. I'm going to live that out. But then we start out with a good idea. We come to Monday, I'm going to do this. I'm, going to, I'm ready for this. And it's a great idea to live out and to inspire the next generation. But then we don't execute and we lose the purity of that vision. The vision that I'm giving you today to inspire the next generation is clear right now. But it's going to soon become foggier and foggier. Because of maybe those negative thoughts, maybe those things or relationships in your life or the laziness. Oh, it sounds like a great idea to set an example, but it's a lot of work. And we know this to be true. Next can be never if next is neglected. If we forget about the next generation, next can be never. We can set them up for failure. We can ruin everything for the next generation. Like we see it with like, climate change and we want to save the turtles and we want to save the environment from global warming and we want better for the next generation but next can be never if next is neglected imagine we just said let's keep the plastic straws let's do this let's do that and then the next generation will have to deal with issues because we haven't dealt with them we've neglected that so if you neglect this plea to inspire the next generation well then they will be neglected if you value generosity, don't let doubt get in the way. Practice generosity. If you value relationships, don't let negative thoughts get in the way. What are they really thinking? What are they like? If you value integrity, don't be lazy with your integrity. If that is a value, don't let laziness or other people or culture tell you to give up that value. And as a Christ follower, is there anything getting in your way of your relationship with Jesus? We looked at those values of generosity and integrity. But we have values as Christ followers. Is there anything getting in the way of that relationship with Jesus? Maybe it's practices, people, thoughts, whatever that may be. Is there anything getting in the way? David, who we know from the Bible, wrote the book of Psalms and he says this, Search me, O Lord. Look at my heart. Is there anything that's in the way between you and me? Purity is the freedom from anything that contaminates or pollutes. And maybe you're in here today and you feel tangled. You feel stuck. 
You feel like you're in a web of hurt, lies, deceit, whatever you feel tangled up in. I want you to know today that there is freedom. Tells us in the Bible where God is, there is freedom. So no matter how tangled up you feel, no matter how stuck you feel, God is there and there is freedom. When you experience his freedom, it leaks into the next generation. We don't have to give the next generation our baggage. We don't need to give the next generation things that we don't want to deal with. If we experience freedom, it leaks into the next generation. They don't have to deal with our issues because we've already given them to God and experienced his freedom. So when we experience his freedom, it leaks into the next generation. Timothy, 1 Timothy 4.12, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, but set the example for the believers in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity. Now is nice, but next is necessary. It's nice and easy to sit back and say, do you know what? I'm going to think about self. I'm going to do what I want to do. I want to live the way I want to live. I don't care about the next generation because now is nice. I'll spend my money the way I want to do it. I'll make the decisions based on me. But next is necessary. We need to invest in the next generation. We need to give up our wants and desires so they can live a better life. They can live with freedom. If we don't deal with baggage in our life, we're going to pass that on. We, would, we can set up our kids financially with opportunities. Through our actions, we can set them up. And as I finish here, three things that you can do to set up the next generation to win. You can invest in the next generation. How can you invest in the next generation? Is it a child, a grandchild, someone that you can mentor? Maybe you want to volunteer with Lighthouse Youth in any of our locations. How can you invest in the next generation? Give them your time, your money, your effort. How can you invest into the next generation? Also, you can invite who from the next generation can you invite into your life to learn from you? That you can help them, mentor them. Who can you invite? Or if you're a Christ follower, who can you invite to church, to come to faith? Who can you invite from this next generation? And lastly, we can inspire. This message today is all about how can we inspire the next generation? How can we inspire the next generation? We can do it through our words, through our conduct through our love, through our faith, and through our purity. These five characteristics of how we can inspire the next generation. Will you inspire the next generation today? What would your family look like if you inspired the next generation? The line of your family could be forever changed. That baggage that's maybe been going on for generation to generation, you can decide today to give it to God, to experience freedom, and you don't have to pass that on anymore. What would your family look like if you inspired the next generation? They would be set up for life. I know I've been set up by my parents. Anna's been set up by her parents. So we can follow our dreams. We can follow what God has asked us to do because we have the backing of our parents. I don't think I would be here today in Lighthouse Church where I am without my parents. I'm without Anna's parents. Physically could not be done because of our upbringing that they gave, the opportunities that they gave, the finances that they've set us forward, we couldn't do this without them. So because of my parents and Anna's parents, we have been set up to win. What would Lighthouse look like 
if we inspired the next generation. We would have a strong, youthful, passionate church. If you call Lighthouse home, do you want that for Lighthouse? Do you want a youthful, vibrant, passionate church? I want that for Lighthouse. But it's all down to you. You inspire the next generation. I can inspire them on Fridays at youth and say, give it all for God. But if they come into a church, that's boring. That people are private about their Christianity. They'll not want to be passionate Christ followers. What would Lighthouse look like if we inspired the next generation? Lastly, what would Ireland look like if we inspired the next generation? We need people in Ireland to stand up. We need people in Ireland to take hold of the next generation. We want Ireland to be a strong nation, but that's going to take individuals to rise up and say, I'm going to stand for the next generation. My words, I'm going to set an example with my words, with my actions, with my love, with my faith, with my purity. I'm going to set the example for the next generation in Ireland. What comes next?